0: It's Thursday, January the 12th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, there is a new report on the price of food in Canada in 2023. Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Is the lead author of that report. He will discuss some of the implications. McLean's magazine is predicting an explosion of technological innovation to help bridge the gap in medical care. Don Dickinson will fill you in. And here's a question Could the return of Canada savings bonds help investors in a high interest environment? Aaron Broverman and I will ponder that question. That'll also be related to our daily poll. But before you get any of that, here is the top story of the day. Executives from Canada's top airlines and the federal transport minister will appear before a parliamentary committee today. They'll be discussing the significant travel troubles over the holidays. Stephanie Taylor previews the proceedings.
1: Representatives from Sunwing, Air Canada, and WestJet are being called to explain what led to the delays and cancellations that affected thousands as a winter storm moved in before Christmas. But it's not Mother Nature MPC is the problem. It's the communication, or lack thereof, that companies had with passengers whose plans were upended. While the president of Sunwing intends to appear, neither Air Canada nor WestJet will be represented by a president or CEO. Instead, they are sending vice presidents. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says Canadians deserve an explanation and the least CEOs could do is show up. A WestJet spokesperson says their CEO was unavailable on such short notice while Air Canada didn't respond. Stephanie Taylor, the Canadian Press, Ottawa.
0: And very conveniently my via rail refund was processed this morning ahead of this committee meeting. I've got a bit of an odd COVID related story for you. Hand sanitizers sent to the provinces by the federal government during the pandemic during the pandemic has gone unused and expired. Kelly Malone takes a closer look.
2: The federal government spent $376 million to get more than 20 million liters of hand sanitizer during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. But now most provinces have excess expired sanitizer and getting rid of it through disposal or repurposing Comes with a hefty cost. Saskatchewan's expecting to spend $100,000 to get rid of its sanitizer that's sitting in a Regina warehouse. And Manitoba, it spent more than $462,000 to repurpose its extra hand sanitizer. Kelly Malone, the Canadian press. Not to
0: dwell upon this too too much, but this was one of the recurring themes during the pandemic. The government would do a lot of procurement at the federal level, send things over to the provinces, and then it never got to people. This is one of the issues that appears to be at play as the provinces and the federal government are grappling over the federal health transfer. We're going to send you stuff What are you planning to do with that? And what's the accountability? I I know hand sanitizer seems sort of like a small potatoes thing. But when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars for the procurement of something that was supposed to go to people, why didn't it get there? These are the kind of inquiries that need to occur over the next couple of years as we look back on what was the height of the pandemic and, of course, as the pandemic continues. Now, we don't do COVID talk every day on the show but while we're talking about it here is the latest national data on COVID-19. There are currently 4,569 people in hospital with COVID-19. 271 people are in the ICU. In the last week 189 people have died in Canada from complications related to COVID-19. This data does not represent hospitalizations related to the flu or RSV. Should be mentioned the national number of about 4,000 4,569 people, that's a little lower than the number we've seen it hover at for the majority of the last few months, but 5,000 people approximately has been the number you see that hovering around. So just a bit of context for you as uh, we do continue to talk about the pandemic sparingly. Let's move to the economy. Inflation data in the United States will be released today. Donna Warder looks ahead.
2: Economists surveyed by the data firm Factset believe that consumer prices in December continued to cool, rising 6.5 percent compared to a year earlier. That would be down from 7.1 percent in November and well below the 40-year high of 9.1 percent in June. And the closely watched core prices, which exclude food and energy costs, are expected to have risen just 0.3% from November to December. A modest rise in core prices would increase the likelihood that the Federal Reserve would raise interest rates by just a quarter point rather than a half point when it wraps up its next meeting February 1st. Donna Warder, Washington. A
0: lot of speculation in that report. The number will be released today and we will offer you a bit of analysis on the show too tomorrow as, of course, we're keeping a close eye on the inflation number in Canada as well. And in just a couple of minutes, we'll be talking to Dr. Sylvain Charlebois of Dalhousie University about a report on the price of food in 2022 and 2023 in Canada. One of the other tentacles of the economy is some labour strife. You've surely noticed that popping up in the United States with a nurses strike and a rail strike that has occurred. We've also seen issues in Canada in regards to education workers. Well, over abroad in Britain ambulance staff in Britain walked off the job on Wednesday Charles de Ledesma has that story
3: Around 25,000 UK ambulance workers are on strike, walking out for the second time since December in an ongoing dispute with the government over pay. Health officials have warned that the impact of Wednesday's strike will be worse than the one held in December because more staff, including call handlers, are involved. The industrial action by paramedics, drivers and call handlers is the latest in a wave of strikes in recent months that's crippled the country's rail network on some days and strained. The overburdened public health system. Charles de Desma, London. Let's get to
0: the daily polls at AMI. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday, we asked you in the wake of some cybersecurity issues in Canada and a outage for the Federal Aviation Administration in the U.S., has society become too reliant on digital systems and platforms? 92% of you said yes and 8% of you said no. Kendall offered comments here on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. Yes and no. I think of the saying, and I paraphrase, it's the poor musician who blames their instrument. I like the way Kendall phrases that, that it's not necessarily the fault of the technology. Sometimes the issue was within the implementation. Today's daily poll, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. This is something that we will discuss with Aaron Broverman, oh, in about 40 minutes or so on the show but I wanna give you the opportunity to chime in as well as Alex Smythe. If they brought them back, if they were brought back, would you buy a Canada Savings Bond, yes or no? Bit of context here, all Canada saving bo- Savings Bonds that have been sold in the 80s and 90s came to maturity at the end of 2021, so there have been no new abilities to purchase a Canada Savings Bond, but in a high interest environment as the government continues to acquire a little bit more debt, If they brought them back, would you buy a Canada Savings Bond as a piece of your investment strategy? Alex Smythe, no need to
4: open up your entire portfolio for us this morning, (laughs) but yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's certainly a benefit, and you always hear about this whenever you speak to any financial advisor, diversify your portfolio as much as you can. And savings bonds were historically always seen as one of the safer investments you can make there is a guaranteed return from the government if you contribute this amount you are locked into this return now typically those returns are minuscule or a lot smaller than what you could potentially make from a, a return on you know a mutual fund or stocks or or any of the more riskier investments because they're not guaranteed but I think especially in the day and age that we live in where there's so much uncertainty. We don't fully know what to expect year in, year out in terms of whether we're having a recession, what is inflation going to look like this year. It's nice to have some guarantees in your life and that's what the the savings bonds offered and so... I think definitely I wouldn't be putting all my money into a savings fund, but it's certainly <laughs> I, would, I would make a portion of my uh, investments into bonds just to have that baseline security. So I, I don't feel as guilty or um, scared to invest in some of these more volatile Uh, sectors like I mentioned, you know, stocks and uh, mutual funds, things like that.
0: Yeah, there is something to the notion of utilizing a guaranteed return. There are, of course, privatized products like a guaranteed investment certificate, a GIC, which like every bank and every financial institution in the history of the world offers. And although the return may be a little bit lower than the aggregate growth of the stock market year over year, the fact is last year, the stock market pulled back about 10% on the major markets and in technology 30, 40, 50% drops in stock prices. So if you were just sitting on a beautiful two and a half or three percent return on a GIC or a savings bond, I mean you would just be cooking with hot fire, let alone if you were using laddered bonds or something like this as a more complex as a more complex investment strategy. So there really is something disingenuous about the way that true stock bros tell you, oh man, on aggregate 10% a year, that's the growth of the stock market. Yeah, that's if you're broad-based investing across the stock market. You gotta be smart about these things. whereas... As a guaranteed piece of a little bit of growth somewhere in your portfolio, not a terrible idea. I would lean a little closer to no just based on my own personal investment strategy, but the case can certainly be made as fixed income and fixed growth is certainly a worthwhile piece of a portfolio and again we will uh, explore this a little bit further with aaron broverman later in the hour alex thank you for your thoughts on this one you should join us in this conversation for the poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also chime in via email, feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca, or give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, one 509 Let's go back to Alex Smythe. Alex has the National Weather Updates.
4: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's clouds clearing out this morning, making way for sunshine. The high is minus 6, the wind chill minus 18. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny, minus 3 is the high, and it's feeling like minus 17. To Montreal, Quebec, there's snow today with up to 4 centimeters expected. The high is zero and it's feeling like minus 14, but there is also a winter storm warning in effect due to heavy snow and freezing rain starting tonight and heading into tomorrow. To Ottawa, Ontario, there's snow and possible freezing rain expected today. There's up to four centimeters set to fall today over the course of the day with the snow. The high is one degrees with the wind chill minus nine and that winter storm warning is also in effect for Ottawa as well. To Toronto, Ontario, there's rain throughout the day and a high of five degrees. To Thunder Bay, Ontario, snow off and on today with up to two centimeters expected. The high is minus two and it's feeling like minus 11. To Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy today. The high is minus seven and the wind chill is minus 17. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, very similar. It's mainly cloudy today as well and the high is also minus seven, but. wind chill it's a bit colder at minus 20. in calgary alberta it's a mix of sun and clouds today a high of three which is very unusual for calgary this time of year and it's feeling like minus 12. up in edmonton alberta it's mainly cloudy with the chance of snow this morning and we continue to see the heavy fog uh and there's a special air quality statement also in effect in the area there's a lot of stagnant air and it's causing a lot of uh, a breathing problems for those who are vulnerable. There's a high of minus six and the wind chill of minus 14. To Yellowknife Northwest Territories, up to 10 centimeters of snow is expected to fall today. The high minus 13 and it's feeling like minus 24. To Vancouver, BC, it's going to be a wet one with up to 20 millimeters of rain set to fall today. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and the high is 10 degrees. Finally, in Victoria, BC, it's rain and wind gusts up to 90 kilometers per hour in some areas. So there is a wind warning in effect, so be careful when you're going outside. It's going to be a rough day. 11 degrees is the high in Victoria. And that's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, there is a new report on the price of food in Canada. Dr. Silna Charlebois is the lead author of that and will discuss the implications. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. back it's now with dave brown on AMI TV. you don't need me to tell you that 2022 saw a huge price spike at the grocery store canada's food price report for 2023 examines the food cost increases from last year as well as projections of what you can expect to pay this year dr sylvain charlebois from dalhousie university is the lead author of that report and he's here to share some of the findings dr charlebois thank you so much for making time to be with us today we're grateful well, thank you for having me. So looking at the forecast in this report, it's predicting another increase of 5 to 7% again this year on food costs. What are the factors that are contributing to that?
3: Well, I I think it's important to underscore the fact that we are looking at a global phenomena. Uh, It's not just Canada. I know a lot of Canadians think that this is just happening to them. It's not. Uh, In fact, Canada has one of the lowest food inflation rates in the world. In the G7, only Japan has a lower food inflation rate. The challenge that we have in Canada is that the general inflation rate has exceeded the food inflation rate for well over a year, which is why people are still sticker shocked at the grocery store. So for 2023, we are expecting, I guess, two scenarios. The first part of the year, so up until, I say, June or July, we are expecting food prices to continue to rise, uh, as they did in 2022, unfortunately. But uh, during the second part, things will get calmer. We don't expect uh, major increases really and we are expecting some categories to be a little bit more problematic than others. What are some of those
0: categories? As you mentioned this is a global phenomenon and certainly there are certain types of food we just can't produce or don't produce within Canadian borders. So what are those sectors where people may see a particularly high increase?
3: Well, so there are three of them. One uh, are vegetables, unfortunately, and uh, and particularly right now in the winter, we're very vulnerable. We do import a lot. Uh, what's really helping right now is the Canadian dollar. Canadian dollar is quite strong compared to past years, so that's helping us, uh, which is nice. But if you look at California, for example, uh, which uh, uh, which uh, you can find uh, some devastation there. Uh, floodings are going on right now, droughts. Uh, that tends to actually cost more uh, to Canadians, unfortunately. And importers will look at other places to import products, but those other options tend to be more expensive. Dairy is another one. We've seen dairy, uh, the dairy section become more expensive. And, and finally, bakery products are becoming more expensive as well.
0: And just for so many folks, those would be staples in the pantry. The the ones you're oh, describing absolutely. would certainly be daily staples for folks. I, yeah. I I'm I'm curious when you say things may settle a little bit as the year moves along. What are the contributing factors that may lead to that?
3: Uh, well, so essentially, uh, what we're looking at uh, are I mean there are three major macro factors I would say. One, uh, supply chains uh, still very uh, ineffective unfortunately and, and when supply chains are ineffective they tend to cost more uh, Ukraine was uh, is still an issue uh, commodity prices are much higher than the five-year average so that's costing more and 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 the last thing is um, is climate change climate change is, is impacting several areas around the world uh, for 2022 we saw droughts in uh, Asia Europe, and again, in the United States, parts of the United States, uh, southern South Africa, South America was also impacted by by droughts as well. So it's, it's always, Mother Nature always complicates things every single year. And when something like this happens, it tends to cost more.
0: Do people underestimate just how significant climate change is in the conversation we're having around food production, supply chain, and security?
3: Uh, I think... Right now, I, a lot, there's a lot of anger towards grocers. People think that grocers are solely responsible for high prices. Um, grocers are our are, are portal into the food industry. So most of us understand uh, the grocery business uh, from a consumer's perspective, but the food industry is a complicated thing. Uh, you walk into a grocery store, there's 18 to 20,000 different products. Uh, all these products will have... Uh, a, a, its own history uh, its own uh, economics and and that's why I think it's important to step back and understand the, the big picture and a lot of things are going on right now in the food industry that is impacting food prices. You
0: are one of the absolute experts in this field, one of the people who speaks on this the most in Canada. This is the 13th edition of this report what goes into putting together an annual report like this?
3: It's, uh... It's challenging and fun uh, as well uh, there's some science to it and there's some art to it the science is all about uh, AI and machine learning all four campuses involved and that would be us Dalhousie Guelph Saskatchewan and UBC we all come in with our own forecasts all these forecasts are very different and so my job as a lead author is to get to some sort of consensus amongst <laughs> 26 26 researchers which is not easy but uh, every year to get to that point uh, it it is still a lot of fun and so at the end of the year we do present a forecast that we believe uh, will make sense to uh, policymakers uh, to business and of course to all of us consumers you lay that out quite brilliantly
0: there because as uh, they'll teach you in a first year methodology class at college or university (laughs) anecdotal evidence is not singularly evidence but i would love to get into dr charlebois grocery cart for a moment as you're walking through the grocery store or on any given day, are you are you able to separate your professional work from your own habits as a consumer?
3: That's a good question. So first of all, I rarely uh, grocery shop alone I I go with my wife and we're a good team so (laughs) she focuses on the grocery list and I focus on the lab which is the grocery store because I'm out there looking uh, with my phone all the time I take pictures I observe people come to me with some anecdotes and uh, and it's it's always a a lot of fun it's it's a labyrinth of discoveries for me and I go to different stores all the time specialty stores big box stores Uh, there's lots going on and and the one mess. I would have for your listeners is this. I know food inflation is making things uh, tougher for a lot of people, but don't forget that consumers have a a big say in terms of pricing and and the kind of products we we have access to. We have more power than we think. Uh, Last week, uh, chicken breasts were all over social media. Uh, Someone took a picture of overly priced uh, chicken breasts. Well, guess what? Nobody bought chicken breasts last week and chicken breasts are 20% cheaper this year, (laughs) this week. So we do have a lot of power.
0: We have to follow those trends. There's no doubt about it. Dr. Charlebois, I'm so grateful for your time today and I've long admired your work. Thank you for making some time for us today.
3: My pleasure. Take care.
0: That is Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, lead author of Canada's Food Price Report for 2023, a professor and researcher at Dalhousie University, joining us from Halifax. Coming up next, Don Dickinson will tell you about some new technological innovations that are aiming to bridge the gap in medical care. But first, here is Canadian
1: press reporter Rob Westgate with your Morning Business minutes. Bay Street finished in the green yesterday, buoyed by the rising price of commodities. Meanwhile, Wall Street also had a good day ahead of the latest key inflation data in the U.S. Toronto's S&P TSX gained 126 points to close at 20,025. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average added 269 points, closing at 33,973, while the Nasdaq rose 189 points up to 10,932. Japan's Nikkei finishing up slightly this morning, almost four full points at 26,400. 50. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong closed up 78 points at 21,514. BC based forestry company Interforce says it'll be reducing its lumber production by at least 8% of capacity in the first quarter of 2023. And the Looney is trading at 74.38 cents US. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate.
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. McLean's Magazine is predicting an explosion of technological innovation to help bridge the gap in medical care. Don Dickinson is the content curator for AMI Audio's McLean's Magazine program and is here to preview this week's episode. Hey, good morning, Don.
2: There, Dave. Long time no chat. It has
0: been a long time no chat. Nice to speak with you yet again, especially when you've got sort of a special themed segment here for a special themed edition of the show. And before we walk through a couple of the predictions, what factors in healthcare was McLean's considering in these technological predictions?
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, There's just so much going on. It's absolutely amazing. First of all, we've got checkups with a hologram will become the norm. I love that. (laughs) It's like Star Trek is here, you know? (laughs) Uh, Hospitals will run on AI. That's
0: not so much. Hey, hey hey Don sorry one second here we we lost your audio so we're just gonna work on a second to uh, reconnect you here in fact guys while we're doing that tech check with Don and reconnecting Don's audio why don't we fast forward ahead to tech trends it'll buy us about sixty seconds here to go through some testing so in terms of tech trends I was mentioning to you earlier about those FAA outages impacting flights in and out of the United States yesterday Outdated technology was one of those factors causing yesterday's FAA outage. Mike Dubuski has the story
4: in Tech Trends. The Notice-to-Air Missions System, or NOTAM, is used by the FAA to send info about runway closures and flight paths to pilots and air traffic controllers. It's
3: fairly centralized, um, it's national, and apparently there, there was not
4: redundancy built into it. Brent Skorup is a senior fellow at George Mason University's Mercatus Center. He says NOTAM is dated, as are a number of airline technologies.
3: A lot of it is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, we have a very safe system, but there are downsides. He
4: also says the process of procuring these systems tends to be slow and all that holds the airline industry back a concern as more advanced aircraft take to the skies
3: electric planes eVTOL aircraft air taxis and drones you know, a lot of companies want to use
4: u.s airspace and, and there needs to be a way to to integrate these safely with tech trends i'm mike debuski abc news
0: from technology to Technological innovation in the medical field. Let's go back to Don Dickinson, the content curator of Maclean's magazine. Sorry, Don, it's a new year, but the same old snafus keep popping up for us.
4: <laughs>
2: no problem, Dave. I think it's uh, ironic, you know, we're talking about technology and we have a tech problem. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, this is this is one of the things that may cause a little bit of distru- distrust. Hey, Don, you know what? In, instead of like getting too bogged down in the factors and like the methodology Maclean's used here, let's actually just jump right into it. Let, let's jump into some of these predictions they're making. You mentioned, uh, okay. you mentioned the hologram checkups. How do they anticipate that will work for patients?
2: Well, this is fascinating stuff. They're basically saying that um, that, that they're going to beam a hologram of a doctor into your uh, circum- whatever circumstances you're in. So last year, a research team from Western University did just that projecting a hologram of a US-based doctor into a boardroom on the school's campus in London, Ontario. The technology relies on specialized 3D cameras and HoloLens uh, goggles, uh, which are similar to virtual reality headsets. Uh, Compared to a Zoom call, the two-way holographic technology allows a doctor to better mimic an in-person appointment with a patient read facial and body language, and provide more accurate diagnoses. Even NASA, this is fascinating, um, tried out the technology, sending a doctor as a hologram to visit astronauts aboard the International Space uh, Station. I mean, I think that would be great. And let's face it, we're not spending a great deal of time with our doctors these days. No, no, no. (laughs) if, If they can get a doctor to us through a hologram,
0: even better, Dave. It's 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 one of these things. The, the rise of remote medicine has suggested, well, what are the innovations inside that remote space that's going to help doctors either do a diagnosis or be more present, or in this case, replicate maybe the emotional experience of going into the doctor's office. So there's a lot there in terms of a lot of hardware that's being developed in conjunction with that that may allow you to do a scan on yourself and feed that diagnostic data back to the doctor. So it's really interesting the way they're utilizing that one. But Don, it's not just about sort of the vibe or the feel. Artificial intelligence is playing a factor in this as well. How might yeah. artificial intelligence be used in hospitals?
2: Well, they're saying that in the coming year, hospitals rely on, will rely on AI to improve patient outcomes and reduce wait times. That's, of course, a huge problem nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, more than 300 Canadian startups are currently working on AI-centric health innovations. I mean, 300 days, wow, That's, yeah. including apps that diagnose cardiac uh, cardiac disease, analyze data from uh, wearable devices, and monitor chronic uh, wounds. One such company, Health, uh, Unity Health Toronto, recently completed a trial of its AI program, ChartWatch, which functions as an early warning system. It's just fascinating stuff, Dave, you
0: know? Yeah, it's utilizing those diagnostic capacities, again, to try to create as much data as you can before you even walk in the door, before you even have a frontline meeting with a medical professional. It can certainly, again, just cut down on cut down on things. Also, in terms of AI, there's going to be some management in terms of time management of what's busy, where's busy, which walk-in clinic is available, which walk-in clinic's not available. Some of that data already comes in in real time, but if they can find a way for artificial intelligence 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 to analyze that data better, that will also help people get to care faster. Don, this next one isn't necessarily brand brand new in terms of technology in the medical space, but 3D printed implants and prosthetics, these are making their way more and more into surgeries and other forms of treatment. What kind of implants are taking shape here? Which are the ones that are becoming most commonplace?
2: Well, um, as you say, it's not brand new, but among the newest advancements in MedTech are 3D imprinted um, uh, implants um, that uh, uh, scan, uh, uh, or no, sorry. The technology takes a three-dimensional scan of a body part and reproduces it using materials like titanium and silicone. Health Canada recently approved the first Canadian-made 3D implant and mandibular uh, or lower jaw uh, plate to be used for facial reconstruction surgery. Produced by the Quebec-based 3D Anatomical Construction Laboratory. The company says 3D printing allows for more customized implants, which could improve surgery success rates and reduce wait times. And one Quebec hospital is set to launch a clinical trial for the aforementioned jaw implant. Other prospective printable body parts include heart valves, knee and hip joints, and a ret. Retinas made of whisper thin carbon. Mm. This is something that you know you can see just improving. Thousands and thousands of lives. Right. This is this is the
0: next level. I remember back in 2016 or 2017, I did a story about 3D pl- uh, 3D printed prosthetics as a low cost and efficient way to get people prosthetics made, which was a really interesting story at the time. It was quite cutting edge. But Don, what you're looking at here with some of these implants, this is almost more in the organ vein rather than just a physical body part vein, and that really shows you how fast and how rapidly this is evolving
2: yeah yeah well you know the problems that you know uh, we've had for a long long time with organ donations and whatnot i mean if it could be speeded up which, of course, everybody, you know, if you're waiting on an organ,
0: yeah, yeah, ask
2: anybody who's on dialysis or anything like that. You know, mm. uh, this would be absolutely, you know, groundbreaking. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. It's the future is here, Dave. <laughs> the
0: future is here, Don. The, the last one here, people have become very familiar with the term mRNA vaccines. As really and truly, it took center stage during the COVID vaccine rollouts. But now we're starting to see where that technology and research is starting to cascade into other forms of vaccines. How will mRNA vaccines be used in terms of other treatments?
2: Well, researchers are very optimistic that that these vaccines developed to fight the coronavirus could also be used to combat a slew of other diseases. Before they emerged as a a lifeline during the pandemic, the mRNA vaccines were studied for 30 years. That's a statistic that I don't think a lot of people realize, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Uh, 30 years as a way to encourage the body to make proteins that our immune system can use to fight off infection. The accelerated testing and approval of these vaccines has opened the door for other possible uses, including bolstering the influenza Mm -hmm, vaccine, mm -hmm. which is often less than 50% effective. Another fact that I completely did not know. (laughs) Uh, The mRNA-based vaccines are also shown promise as a cancer treatment that helps produce antigens that attack tumor cells. Other, Likewise, they could act as the basis for an HIV vaccine. Moderna recently partnered with the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative on a phase one trial to test a shot's response in healthy humans. If all goes well, an approved HIV vaccine is only a few years away.
0: Don, this segment and this special edition of McLean's magazine is filled with a certain level of optimism. If you'll forgive me, can I at least throw in a little bit of pessimism here?
2: No, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. I know, Don, we're trying to keep it positive on a Thursday morning. But it does seem to me that although there's so much promise here on the technology, what I would really be cautious about here is if our health systems, particularly in regards to actually hiring and training enough medical professionals, simply sees technology as a way to say, no, nah, we don't need to build more med schools. We don't need to train more nurses. We're just going to solve this with technology. There's a manpower issue going on right here. There's also a, bureaucrat- a bureaucracy issue going on here. And and as, as great as these technologies will be, if we don't have enough doctors and nurses and practitioners to put this technology into their hands, it's all kind of it's all kind of fruitless.
2: Oh, absolutely, Dave. I mean, they do go into some of the points. There's 10 major points. I mean, we don't have time to yeah, go into Yeah, all we'd be of here all now. day.
0: We'd be here all day.
2: <laughs> but yeah, but they do go into the fact that, you know, one of the big things is that they have to improve the perks and they have to Im- improve um basically you know more nurses more doctors uh more human care i mean that's what you're saying right it, mm-hmm. it, it has to mm-hmm. it comes down to uh i mean as much as a hologram is would be nice you know for the you know uh, for the immediate response it, it also comes down to actually giving Um, those medical professions, the benefits that they deserve, the perks and benefits that they Mm -hmm. deserve, so that they don't... They're not burnt out so that they can take better care of all of us. Yeah, having
0: your appointment with your family doctor via hologram is great if you have a family doctor. (laughs) If you don't have a family doctor, it makes it a little bit more complex. And and that's one of the things that I always want to reiterate to people, that there are many provinces who are doing many, many things right now. And it shouldn't be forgotten. For example, the uh, the province of British Columbia is changing the assessment period in terms of internationally trained nurses. They're also building a new med school at uh, SFU. So at that, Simon Fraser University. So they're trying to do things. Saskatchewan is trying to bring in more nurses from the Philippines. Ontario is trying to make it easier for pharmacists to offer uh, renewals on prescriptions. So there's all kinds of things that people are doing here that really is in the manpower side that isn't simply saying holograms and AI. So, so, yeah. uh, so, so it is important that we don't simply lose sight of that.
5: Oh,
2: absolutely, Dave. And you know the pharmacy thing is a huge plus. I mean, pharmacists for many, many years we have we have pharmacists in our family. And in fact, my cousin was the associate dean of pharmacy at the University of Toronto. We're talking about a woman who knows more about drugs than than anybody, anybody. <laughs> and 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 uh, to be perfectly honest, I think she knows more about drugs than than uh, my doctor. You know, and my doctor has said that. You know that. Um, that doctors know medicine in general, obviously, but pharmacists know drugs, right? Mm-hmm. And they're vi- they're experts in their field. And to not have them ha- have the capability of prescribing the most basic stuff, uh, you know, we should have been doing this a dozen years ago. Yeah. Um, pharmacists should have had that right and that privilege and that, you know, they have the knowledge to do that, right? And that will take so much of a load off of you know, just the most fundamental healthcare.
0: Yeah, because even a 10 to 15 minute, hey, here's your prescription for urinary tract infection, uh, that appointment at a doctor's office is 15 minutes that, that could be going to someone who needs a much more acute appointment. Whereas if it's a chronic recurring issue for someone and they know what it is, you go to the pharmacist, hey, I've been prescribed this 17 times in the last five years. <laughs> I, think, I think we know what we're doing here. Hey Don, you always know what you're doing as a content curator for McLean's Magazine. Thank you for making time for us today.
2: Thank you, Dave. Talk to you next week. That's Don
0: Dickinson with a preview of McLean's Magazine's predictions for medical innovations that may roll out this year. You can find that entire episode of McLean's Magazine Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Aaron Broverman considers the return of the Canada Savings Bond and what that could mean for an investor like you. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. You've been hearing loads about inflation and interest rates. In fact, we just had an extensive conversation with Dr. Sebastien Charlebois of Dalhousie University about food prices. And so oftentimes that conversation is through a singular lens, and that's affordability, which, by the way, that's an important lens. But there is an angle about high interest rates for investors. What does a high interest environment mean for people wanting to save money? Aaron Broverman has an idea to bring back a nostalgic investment tool. Aaron is the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Hey, good morning, Aaron. How are you?
5: Good morning, Dave. Happy New Year. It's nice to see you again.
0: Yeah, nice to chat with you as well. So, Aaron, what is the case you want to make for the unretiring of the Canada Savings Bond?
5: All right, get this, Dave. So, we need to change Canadians' mindset from spending to saving, especially in the short term with uh, inflation and the government raising interest rates to try to hedge against inflation. So, I think they can do that by bringing back the Canada Savings Bond in a very specific way. I'm talking premium interest rates and short-term terms, maybe like 18 months, so that people start socking away their money instead of spending it. Mm. let's unpack that a
0: little bit. How do you think a tool like this may offer a benefit to investors?
5: So we're in an environment where, you know, the interest rates on GICs are sort of uninspired. Uh, The stock market needs a bit of a correction. And, uh, you know, some banks have announced that they're not offering third-party investments anymore. So a Canada Savings Bond would give investors more choice. And if you're a regular person who doesn't have an investment advisor, this gives uh, you a safe and stable investment it helps that you're not you know diverting your money to the red hot real estate market you're resisting the urge to go into high risk investments like uh, cryptocurrency and bitcoin <laughs> so uh, it's just better if we go back to the tried and true canada savings bond of course at a high interest rate for for the short term so people start changing their attitudes and saving their money. And it gives them another option when uh, other investments are kind of uninspired. Yeah, a safe, secure,
0: steady return. And there has been, let's call it um, some volatility in the market over the course of the last couple of years, some high highs and some low lows. So maybe some stability might be a good thing. Now, Aaron, that's the impact for for the case for the investor themselves. What if we zoom out a little bit here? What kind of impact might the reintroduction of a Canada savings bond have
5: for Canada in general? Well, obviously the Canadian government would get some revenue off of it, which would hopefully help Canadian citizens. They might be able to diffuse inflation a little bit if we all start saving our money uh, collectively. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it really helped change uh, Canadian attitudes. The, The last high for the Canada Savings Bond was in the 80s when inflation was high back then so maybe we just need to return to that so people change their mentality a little bit
0: you mentioned the rate on a gic a guaranteed income certificate a guaranteed investment certificate at most banks right now the rate is a little uninspired if i had uh, prepared for this better i actually would have popped onto a website this morning and looked at some average returns on that but do you think there would be an appetite for the return of the canada savings bonds
5: I think so. I th- think the case has already been made in papers like the Globe and Mail, and uh, that was down back in I think November of 2021. Uh, I think if you know Trudeau and his government did a better job of selling it and uh, you know we were actually like marketing it, uh, that you know people would be interested, especially because it's not a forever thing. We're talking 18 months at most. Uh, We're talking premium interest rates. The interest rate has to be high so that people have uh, an incentive and actually see a return on their investment. I'm
0: putting you on the spot with this one, Aaron. What do you think that number could or should be for that marketing purpose to get the Canadian to open up their wallet and not buy the GIC or not buy the mutual fund? What do you think that number should be on a Canada savings bond if we were to unretire it?
5: Well, I mean, in 1946, I think the first interest rate was like 2.75%. So it'd have to be in like the threes or 4% in order to see a real return. Um, yeah, because this is, like, as you say, this is an oldie but a goodie. So it's going to take some convincing uh, to get Canadians uh, back on board.
0: Yeah, we get, uh, we get nostalgia with our movies and our music. Maybe we should get nostalgic with our investing as well along the way here. Uh, right. Aaron, broadening out the scope maybe people aren't super uh, enthralled by a Canada savings bond. And we should admit that I don't think either of us are currently a licensed broker. So, uh, you know, take all of our advice with a particular grain of salt. But what do you think about some other options for investors in a high interest environment that isn't, say, just a savings account?
5: So the other options are numerous. There's commodities like gold and silver. There's uh, a real... Uh, the real backed bonds and those uh, hedge against inflation, sort of like uh, US treasury bonds, but for Canada. So uh, you check out RRBs. Also you can go into real estate of course but the real estate market is pretty hot, but over <laughs> the long term it yeah. does hedge against inflation. If you don't want to become a landlord you can go into r- real estate investment trusts where you just invest in real estate like you would uh, the stock market and uh, look at the ups and downs and the returns and that's in commercial real estate so there are you know other ways to protect against inflation as well
0: yeah for me and one of the things that is fundamental to my investment strategy i don't spend a lot of time talking about it on the air because frankly people probably don't care and they don't want to look directly at my portfolio but one of the things that i'm all about is if i'm investing money in something do i understand the business and do i get a piece of the profits i want Want to make sure that i'm getting a dividend or some kind of coupon for owning a mutual fund an etf or a stock especially if i'm owning equity etfs or equity mutual funds that are supposed to be representative of the stock market if there are stocks in that fund i want a piece of those dividends if those companies are making profits they're paying out to shareholders if I'm owning it through one of these mutual funds, I am one of these shareholders. I perpetually want to be generating income through, through everything I own. So regardless of the ups or the downs, I'm getting a guaranteed four to 6% a year paid into my bank account that I can do with whatever I please, whether that be reinvest or uh, spend on lavish vacations. Cause you know me, I'm bougie. I've got a lavish lifestyle.
5: Yeah, you definitely get that with a real estate investment trust cause it's commercial real estate. So, uh, yeah, definitely a dividend would come from that. And, uh, yeah, so I think you're, you're on the right track there.
4: Aaron,
0: final question. It's our daily poll question, which folks can find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. It's precisely this topic. If they brought them back,
5: would you buy a Canada Savings Bond? i mean i'm making the case so i have to (laughs) dip my toe of course i got i gotta i gotta invest and you know what's wrong with canada savings bond i used to get them on my birthday they were great
0: (laughs) i knew i could trap you with that poll question i knew that i could force your hand hey aaron thank you for this we always appreciate your perspective it's an interesting time out there in the markets and in the world of money so we're always grateful when we get to talk to you
5: yeah grateful to talk Dave see
0: you next time that is Aaron Broverman the lead editor at Forbes advisor Canada and you can follow him on Twitter at Broverman B-R-O-V-E-R-M-A-N at Broverman on Twitter Twitter. And again, I'll remind you if you want to vote on our poll, you can find it at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. And we're asking you the question if they were brought back, would you buy a Canada savings bond, yes or no? And don't forget, you can always reach out to the show via other methods. Email feedback at ami.ca or phone call one 509 4545 And there's other spots you can find us on social at Accessible Media on TikTok. So that's the same handle as on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Instagram. So that's the same uh, handle as you get on the Facebook. So the Meta family, it's at Accessible Media Inc. In the non-meta social media, it's at Accessible Media. Let's wrap up the hour with one more news story. A University of Alberta professor will conduct an investigation into white supremacy in the Canadian Armed Forces. Rob Westgate has more.
1: Andy Knight, a professor of international relations, made a proposal to the department last fall in which he drew attention to racism in the military's ranks. Now, over the next year, he is to assess just how entrenched radicalization, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, and anti-Black sentiments are in the forces, and come up with a suggested policy on how to respond. Knight says he realizes there will be some pushback and for many soldiers, even raising the matter will touch a raw nerve. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. Do you ever have one of those days
0: where you just feel like you're a little out of sync, where everywhere you go, you seem to have made the wrong choice? I had one of those days yesterday where it seemed like my timing was just always off. Every place I walked into, there was perpetually a line. So I'd say, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else and try to do that errand before I go get this errand done. And then I would walk in there and boom, there'd be another line. And it just seemed everywhere I went, I was chasing my tail you ever have one of those days where it just seems like the universe is conspiring against you and gravity is constant tell me about it i'll be your therapist i'll be like dr fraser crane i am listening so i'll remind you of those points of contact for the show one more time feedback at ami.ca feedback at ami.ca is the email address or you can give us a phone call 1-866-509-4545 coming up After the break, I've got the regional news update for you. Brock Richardson will be stopping by as well for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.